it's Eric Newcomer here with Tom Dotan. We've got uh, guests we've been uh, trying to get on the show for a while. Uh, Taylor Lorenz is here. She has a new one of her stories where she smartly put ha- has a word that maybe like 1% of the population knows and then blasts it out to the uh, the readers of the mainstream media. Now, her latest is Nimcel, uh, famous uh, for propagating Chugi uh, before. And I'll, I'll let her um, tell us the backstory on this story in a second. I also have to say, Taylor is like, I've experienced, I've seen other people say this on Twitter, but is genuinely amazing at seeing new cool things take off the ground. I feel like as soon as I announce my sub stack, she was in my DMs, like excited about it, like giving me audience, which I can see sort of having experienced it firsthand, how important it is to a creator when somebody like, especially sort of a kingmaker, you know, creator reporter says, oh, this is interesting. I'm going to follow this from the beginning. So before we get into Nimsel and all that, like, what is your strategy? And don't talk about me because I'm I, that was too complimentary <laughs> of myself. But how do you how do you sort of like eyeball th- things on the come up, or what's your sort of, or you're just like talking to everybody, or like, what's your strategy for watching this stuff? Yeah, I just kind of like consume as much as possible, and I just kind of spend all day absorbing content, finding new people. I love to go down rabbit holes and kind of finding, you know, interesting new people to talk to in in all different types of sort of tech industries and and content creators. I'm a big supporter of independent media and believer in independent media. So I, you know, I anytime I see like a new content creator enter the news space, that's really exciting for me. Yeah. You know, I think if I had started later in my career, I probably would have gone that route myself. I maybe will do it one day, but um, <laughs> it's so hard. I don't know. <laughs> kind of, it's kind of nice to have you know healthcare. <laughs> yeah, I will. Everybody in Substack world wonders, like on some level, you're the natural, you know, independent. I know but, Hamish but then you're is always so trying to get me to do that. <laughs> I I write on Substack sometimes. What I really, I mean, my whole like shtick is just trying to get um, the mainstream audience to care and and to kind of understand the world the way that I feel like I see it online every day. And so I kind of, you know, I like writing for a more, uh, you know, boomer. <laughs> You're like, if I'm going to stay up all night uh, reading Twitter, uh, they, <laughs> the world at least needs to understand <laughs> like well, what's happening I, on it. Well, the description I always, I always kind of have of you, Taylor, is, is that, you know, and it's the easy one people probably use, is that you're like the great chronicler of internet culture of our age. But then I always think that's a bit of a lazy way to describe it because there really is no defining line between internet culture and culture more broadly. And so to kind of segment the two in saying, you know, one is siphoned off into a certain group of people or listeners just doesn't really explain what's happened over the last couple of decades. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm expanding what I think of your horizon. And, and as like an example of this, since we're all just about complimenting each other at the <laughs> no, beginning of this episode. More. I love this podcast. <laughs> is, is, you know, as, as a sign of, you know, the, the crossover, I have some friends that I'm in a book club with and the information wrote a profile of you. This is a couple of months ago. And they were like, oh, can you send me that Taylor uh, uh, profile that was in the information? And I was like, well, one, I don't work there anymore. Um, and two, yeah, sure, I'll send it to you. <laughs> but this was from people that don't work in tech. And so I think kind of the great thing about internet culture reporting as you've sort of approached it is that you've shown 
the impact that it has beyond that. And people do care beyond those that are, you know, it's an, it's a dated term now, but like extremely online. I know I've written, oh, well, extremely online is the title of my book coming out next year oh from Simon Schuster. Oh, it's Schuster, not a dated so. term. It's actually Oprah <laughs> That's Ron. Great. No, it is. It is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wrote a piece on um, that crypto. That's the problem I, with I, book schedules, right? Is that oh God, come don't up, get you, me started on that. It takes two years for these things to reach the light of exactly. day. So. But uh, no, I wrote a piece on that platform Mirror that was like some crypto blogging platform. But I wrote about kind of how I hate the term internet culture so much. And I do use it sometimes because it is effective shorthand. But yeah, I mean, I just think the internet is is our lives and we're only getting more and more, you know, it's, it's sort of embedded within it. So yeah, I consider what I cover very mainstream culture. And I think it's a window into what the world will be like, right? So I like, yeah, I like to cover shifts in in that and obviously covered the creator world really early and have stayed on that. And I just, it's, it's fun and exciting to cover and kind of like as a, as a media nerd myself and a tech lover, like it's, you know, there's just so much happening in the space and there's so much to cover. And I like to cover it in a way that gets, it helps people kind of understand shifts that are happening in tech media culture, um, but in an accessible way, you know, or in a, not in a condescending way. Is one of your strategies uh, for engaging audiences now, finding a single word or like we have chuggy we have Nimsel. is there another story that fits in this <laughs> okay sort of boomer like, i have oh, so yeah, many yeah. Oh, i write God. i write yeah, tons of stories are you disappointed that you're not responsible for vibe shift <laughs> <laughs> i thought about writing about that i i you know there's so many things i i don't you know I, I, I like to write about language, um, especially, I mean, I don't know if you read in that piece about niche internet micro celebrities, but like I wrote this whole history of the word creator itself, which I've also yes, written about. I, I wrote yeah, that that. about the, the rise of the of word influencer. And yeah, like I, I love, well, there's this great book called Because Internet by this linguist named Gretchen McCullough, who wrote about how the internet has impacted language. And I just think that the words that we use and the phrases that we use to describe the world around us can often reveal really interesting shifts in tech, culture, whatever. Totally. And so I like I like doing those stories um, because I, it, they're kind of just like using a phrase or a word as a peg to talk about some broader shift. All right. This is classic for this podcast where we talk around the subject before telling people what <laughs> we're actually... So niche internet micro-celebrity, Nimsel, give us the like, you know, 60 second spiel. Like, how did you get onto this story? What is it? I was so late to the story. I meant to write about it since last spring. It's like one of those ones that's just <laughs> been on my list forever. And then I, and then I finally is wrote it. Is that just a it's... huge condemnation of the other people on the beat that they didn't do <laughs> no! it earlier? Oh my God, no, like I love everyone months. on my beat. First of all, there's like, there's almost no one on, on this beat, just to be clear. It's, it's such a crazy, like, there's almost no one on it. Um, and, it's, I think that it's super under-resourced or every place has like the one person that covers everything. And, you know, we all cover things from different lenses. And, um, so I know I, I love everyone on my beat and, uh, none of us have time to get to all the stories that we want to get to. There could be a hundred more reporters on the beat and there'd still be so many great scoops to get out. But yeah. Anyway, Nimso. <laughs> anyway, I know. I, I, was I like, don't want to ever seem like that I'm, I knew I'm you shading. hit one of her. Like, she's never going to let you, at, like, slot, like, snipe it. Uh, no, I would never. I don't know a lot of the people. The few that are on your beat, I know well, them. Well, you know. And they're anyway, great. I anyway. maybe I'm on it too, honestly. I mean, <laughs> we can get to the story that I wrote later. But uh, yes, the, so many yeah, people. There so, should be more. Um, well, when, you know, it kind of, it was, it was VidCon that really made me want to write about this. And I think it was Amanda Pirelli or somebody at Business Insider wrote a and really quickly, good piece. VidCon is. This uh, VidCon conference. is a 
yeah, online convention uh, for for online video stars and kind of that whole industry, like the influencers comic con. You can think of it like that. Mm-hmm. And this year was the first year that TikTok was the title sponsor. YouTube had sponsored it for ten years and really pioneered it. And TikTok took over. And one thing I noticed is just kind of like the way that fame has shifted. Like early VidCon and you know previous VidCons that I was at, sort of more towards the beginning, like you could get all of the famous people on the internet into a room. And now I just think we live in such a networked world. Um, There's that famous post of like, we're all going to be famous to 100 people. Um, And it's very true. Like there's a lot more... Well, the term that I wrote about is like niche internet micro celebrities, which is a very tongue-in-cheek term to call yourself a nimsel. But it speaks to this thing of like micro fame and sort of like being known to people. But that doesn't necessarily mean commercial success or like fame fame you know what i mean like a lot of it's just knowing well tell us about the lead you had sort of a lead character who was super compelling bryce woolman yes one of my favorite nimsals um so bryce is this guy in south dakota that just had like he's like the unofficial mayor of sioux falls and he just has this like like, designated as such by the mayor the mayor actually designated him as the unofficial mayor he just has this loud and um fun internet personality that kind of everyone in that area but only like five thousand twitter followers so the key here is that deep deep in that world known by sort of the key people but then it's sort of a tiny following somebody called it like contextualized micro fame in a different era and i wonder if this is some of the pushback if there has been on this piece is that it's the concept of a of a local celebrity, right? I mean, the idea that if you live in a town, like I grew up in a suburban town, the guy that worked at Subway, Dell, everybody knew about <laughs> Dell. And like he was yeah. kind of like a joke that we all had in high school of like, oh, yeah, you're going to go hang out with Dell later? And that meant like going to Subway. So that sort of thing has existed for, I mean, probably hundreds of years. But it sounds to me like what you're getting at in this piece is there's something in terms of, you know, being online and connecting to you know communities that are not physically where you are that changes the kind of nature of of this kind of celebrity yeah exactly so the big difference now is that it's not localized like these i mean of course it is a very local thing right there are tons of local people like that like you said that i think are kind of like the online evolution of those types of people and then you have like just you know, the most niche internet micro celebrities for every little random thing, right? Like a really popular Facebook group or like a chip person that's really into chips or whatever, like, or they're just really known for their like weird TikTok lives. Um, and they only have 10,000 followers, like, but they're very known to people that kind of vibe with them or care about what they are posting about, like in terms of the topic. It's just about sort of how fame is becoming more distributed, I guess. And there's less like... Totally internet A-listers. I mean, I, I joked online on Twitter that I was in a nimcel that monetizes well. I mean, <laughs> yeah. there's a level that that's not really true. I mean, but it gets at a sort of a question in the piece, which is like, do nimcels monetize? Or like the sort of being, the, the sort of sense that you're like an influencer or this small micro celebrity, but you're not really making money off of it? Or how did you try to draw that line? Or how do you think about it? Well, so, you know, I think influencer is this like capitalistic notion where it used to be like, oh, you get an online following, you're an influencer. But these people are not influencers in the sense that like, they're not looking to brand themselves. They're not looking to have that broader cultural impact. None of them really have that broader relevance outside their own niche social group. They're just kind of known. So I think like not being able to monetize is 
is the story of a lot of these people because their audiences are too small and they're not really going into it for that goal. So they say. Yeah, exactly. Then they get a little bigger. Maybe <laughs> right. they try the to. The pose is certainly to not want to monetize and then, you know, someday you're t- selling t-shirts. Yeah, if at first you strike out with the brands, <laughs> you might as well reposition yourself as a nimcel. I know that's like purely cynical, but there has to be a percentage of people that kind of like didn't quite make the cut in terms of number of audience that you need to be relevant to brands. And they're just like, actually... You know what I really was going for? <laughs> Niche internet microsoft. Yeah, a lot of them do is like yeah. pivot it into careers in XYZ, right? Like you're known, Alyssa McDevitt, you know, like known as this kind of like niche internet micro celebrity in the tech world for founding this Facebook group, used it to get a job. I think she worked at Google or something like that. So it's a good way to like kind of get attention and use that attention. Okay, this part got cut from my story. I'm going to give you the highlights because it was way too niche media stuff. I think the media and part of like a lot of sometimes I write pieces because I'm just so annoyed by how like bad media coverage elsewhere. I think certain publications in New York cannot distinguish between a niche internet micro celebrity in their own little media adjacent universe and an actual influencer, aka everyone in Dime Square. Oh my God. So this is a long yeah. subtweet of Dime Square. Exactly. We actually mentioned sort of you criticizing the obsession over Dime Square on another it's episode. It's just manufactured. It's not like no hate to them, but like let's not act like these people have any kind of broader cultural relevance. And I think like that, and again, zero hate to them. I just think like the way the media covers it is like, you see these legacy publications want to cover online culture, but they don't have an understanding of the nuances of the internet enough to like recognize like what's actually culturally but relevant. My, my pushback you on know? that was just the like old guard media, my imagination. And by it. the way, I work for old guard media yes. as well. And so like, <laughs> you know, I don't have a, but just like media pre us, like, mm-hmm. th- there was a sense that like whatever the media talked about was sort of like what people were chattering about. And sometimes it was sort of elitist and like it's not like they were running a poll of the country and saying like what is on everybody's mind no they it were was like always out makers. of touch it was right. always out of touch the thing is is that i now, mean the line used to always be like what is a trend a trend is something that your editor's kids started talking about. exactly <laughs> but no but you guys this is my whole thing is the past 15 years have been about dismantling that and so right. i think we just see right like the new york times you know style section i think as a long and i work there i love it no hate but like you know the definitely i'm sure in the 90s was publishing some crazy stuff. The point is, is now that now we see how out of touch specific coverage is. And it's so like, you know, it's so it's so kind of transparent. And so I think if you write about culture and you continue to write in that 90s style without acknowledging the internet, it's like we can see the numbers, right? We can see who's following who. We can see cultural relevance so clearly that it's just... It's just out of touch. Don't you think some reader? To me, some readers miss that. Like, you, like of course, readers clearly, don't understand that, and that's you're leading people to be misinformed. But like, even you see Substacks even re, like I was googling some. I think like some of these Substacks are talking about Dime Square. Like, people want like a small no universe. one Substack is talking okay, about okay, it, and he okay. covers it relentlessly, <laughs> which is fine. I and by the way, again, I'm not saying don't cover the niche internet micro celebrities. Right, okay, right. I love covering these people. I mean, you literally just wrote an article about. But just it. admit that they're like you know five people care. Just this. It's important to contextualize right. and not act like that is the monoculture right. 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 because it's not. Right. Right. But and what so- is the monoculture now? I mean, that's what's so interesting about, you know, the Internet as an audience is that it's literally worldwide. And so like podcasting is so interesting to me about it because you can have podcasts that have 100,000 listeners that 
I would bet most of my friends have never heard of. You said, what is the internet monoculture? There is still, right? There is still mass culture on the internet. There are still people that rise from the internet, especially in music and entertainment, right? That are... That that our mainstream Lucas culture. Shaw keeps a list of them. I think you know. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> you know, but I mean, like, look at the rise of like so many pop artists are constantly right. like, and a lot of celebrities are. You know, you could look at like people like Addison Rae or some of these like internet. Is you she know, so famous? I feel like she's people. totally dropped out. She's of my a little TikTok. bit flopped off, but like yeah. you know, she's you know definitely right. 2019, 2020. Well, now people are arguing about her parents. Like it's it is amazing. Like well, Joe Rogan. You know, there's there's these there's these people that break out of their niches, right, right and rise to mainstream fame. But that's not the niche in micro celebrities. All right. Well. I, I love that this was a subtweet of Dime Square that you weren't allowed no, to make. No, I wanted to write about it a long time ago. <laughs> I wanted to add a line. I wanted to right. add a line in. And my editor right. was like, this is like niche stuff so that you random. should just tweet. Well, anyway, and you I, can tweet I, out yeah. this uh, <laughs> with your grievance. But and I, no I hate. Know. Again, no, no, no. I'm not. It's not grievance. It's not hate. Yeah, I just, you don't want to. I feel like, Taylor, you're the best when you have feuds. But you're you're actively like, I don't want to be dragged into any feuds here. Like I, I love <laughs> debates. I love debates. I love, I love arguing about these things. I love starting debates online i just you know i don't want i, I have it's no like, like i think it's all fun it's I all forget a, if you're pro air conditioning or anti i know you once had a strong oh opinion. god i'm, I'm very anti and i got canceled Eric. we can't bring that up <laughs> what this is drama you need drama anyway next um i want yeah. speaking of fighting i don't actually know if you guys di- i don't know where the stances are here and i certainly don't have one but play out the the influencer creator debate i don't know if one yeah of can i read a section one. of your story taylor because you i think that's yeah, really of course. interesting i wrote a whole story about this by the way oh Okay. For the Atlantic. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, let me just read the paragraph that I thought was pretty succinct and and, and got to the point in the, in your post piece. Uh, so this is from your story. Because the term creator, quotes, uh, was so synonymous with YouTube, for years people didn't know what to call those who were gaining attention on other apps. It's just funny you say creator was synonymous with YouTube when there is a term for them called YouTuber. So I'm interested why yeah, that sort of and they transfer. were. It didn't transfer because YouTube itself, I have a whole section on this in my book. I actually wrote a whole piece about this um, we'll specifically. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll drop the link a couple years ago. Um, I, I write this piece like, you know, again, I love talking about language. So I'm sure you guys remember originally YouTubers were called partners. Do you guys remember sure. that? Well, that relates to the YouTube partner program. And yes, it was exactly. It's a top down initiative. Right. And so then they bought Next New Networks and, and Next New kind of coined this term creator. And that became so synonymous with YouTube because YouTube pushed that term, right? They had the whole ad campaign. It was all creators. I'm sure Mark Bart- Bergen's book gets into this too. He's our next but, episode after you, uh, I believe. I must, We're recording I, it soon. He's awesome. <laughs> so, you know, it was people who were Vine stars and influencers on Instagram. I remember they were called Instagram stars. People didn't even use that word influencer. It, there was these like weird words that people and blog, Tumblr, you know, Tumblr, celebrity or whatever. Um, it wasn't until marketers who had always used the term influencer since the early 2000s, you know, put marketing dollars into the industry and the marketing industry was dominating the monetization of that industry that that term influencer became popularized. Also the fall of Vine, People needed a word like Logan Paul became so platform agnostic and he became more of a YouTuber. So anyway, and then it didn't flip back until to creators until 
in the past year, really, but really 2021 when tech, when the tech industry came. And I think part of that was because the tech industry has always preferred that term. And also because I think a lot of VCs want to distance themselves between from their bad takes about influencers, which they spent, you know, a decade <laughs> shitting on. <laughs> That's interesting. And also creator is such a good capitalist sort of like, yeah. Well, not as good as influencer though, right? I mean, like well, that's the greatest think, one because that means you can influence other people to buy products, which, like you said earlier, is a capitalist-derived term. I mean, it's as pure as it gets in terms of what function they serve to the people that care about them, which is that these people can push product, which is how the you know the market moves. But the it, but the way that that people started to monetize sh- has shifted, as you guys know, right? So it was about pushing products. So I think influencer was the best term. But I think as people have relied on more direct monetization, I think a lot of people that term creator is stuck a little bit more, like is used by platforms like pushing that. Or like, and are, are, are you pro creator or what's your preferred? What term do you prefer? Oh, I love all of them. I loved celebrity. Do you guys remember that one? <laughs> no. Yeah, that was in your piece, and it was a little Elmer Fudd for me. <laughs> oh my god, I was such a thing in like the Julia Allison fame ball. People used to go. I just think it's you know people are always trying to kind of articulate the, this term for for you know, more distributed media environment. I don't, right. I don't have a preference. I mean, creator and influencer are interchangeable. And a lot of times when you hear people hating on the word influencer, they, it's a little bit of a like misogyny yeah, type of exactly energy. Yeah, it's sort of. <laughs> uh, because influencer, because the rot, you know, you have to remember Kim the Kardashian, pioneers. Obviously, yeah. Well, and the pioneers that pioneered the whole quote unquote creator economy were women and people of color and LGBTQ community. And again, a lot of VCs, or I think like to like distance themselves from the roots of that, which is a shame. But creator, you know, I I think it all works. I it's 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 how you wear it, right? That matters, right? Yeah. And and what you mean to your audience. Um, yeah. I mean, back to the platforms specifically. I, I don't know how much you 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 want to make this point in your piece, but like the NIMCEL concept seems intrinsically married to TikTok. I understand that there are NIMCELs that are on, and you mentioned they're on whatever, Reddit boards or, you know, Discord or Twitch and and all other kinds of things. But just from my read of it, the nature of the algorithmic feed and, you know, these kind of AI derived entertainment channels would push people towards, I mean, everything is curated for your particular interests as the app understands. And so the NIMCEL idea just seems like it, it fits so perfectly with that because this is about niche interests. And this is about an app that is trying to do its best to cater to what it thinks your interests are, which are inherently niche. I mean, what do you think? Like how much, how much of NIMCEL is TikTok versus the other platforms that you kind of describe in the piece? Yeah. So it actually emerged in the Instagram meme community uh, for niche meme pages, um, which are so popular. But I think you're right, Tom, 100%. Like this term would not exist without the rise of TikTok, I think, because you you wouldn't have seen... And I think with people getting more online during the pandemic and kind of becoming more networked themselves and knowing more online people. But yeah, it's completely tied to that because I, you know... Like fame is so distributed on TikTok, exactly what you just said. The algorithm is like spoon feeding you content right in your niche. Right. I mean, like TikTok has been so good at like the long tail, whereas Facebook has sort of seemed to shovel everyone to like Ben Shapiro ultimately, or like these big, big pages, whereas TikTok can so quickly zoom you into whatever like small niche uh, you're interested in. I want to go to the end of your piece too, because you have a bit of a like dystopic uh, quote from 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 one of your one of your characters um this is at the end of it you say it's fun to be part of this wave said peter 
whatever it is. And sorry, who's Peter again? Alex Peter. Alex. He's, well, a, he's a, like a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> he blocked me. I don't I don't know what I did. Why? I like him. I don't know. I feel okay, like. Okay, I'll tell him to unblock you. I'll text him. <laughs> oh, I, I want to know more about that, actually. If you're, you're, you're on the outs with lawyer Twitter. <laughs> he's great. He's great, though. He, okay. He's definitely more of a, you know, raging anti-capitalist. I do run a VC newsletter, but uh, yeah. Oh, anyway. okay. <laughs> um, okay. So anyway, here's the quote. Uh, it's fun to be part of this wave, said Peter. Whatever it is, I think some people think it's the decline of society. And maybe they're right. But it's interesting. <laughs> let's let's unpack that a little bit here. I mean, why would people think that this type of character is in some way like reflective of a social and societal decline? Yeah, that is very tongue in cheek quote that I included kind of as a joke. Like it's a nod to like these these people that I think do feel like it's the downfall of society and the hate on the internet a lot. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not the downfall of society. I am very. I mean, I think I'm very pro these shifts, I think, that are happening in media. Well, there's a um, purity to it, right? I mean, like yeah. one of the things that the internet has gone through is, you know, in the origins of YouTube and the first people that were successful on it, the claim that these people always had was like, hey, I was just posting this so my friends could see it. It was just a way that we could host these things. And there was kind of like a homespun earnestness to it. And then once it became, you know, people got huge, people could see there was a business, the whole like, you know, capitalistic community got involved in it. It obviously shifted. And to be like as uncynical as possible, it seems like the NIMCEL idea is kind of a return to those roots, right? I'm not making money exactly. from it. It's just me doing the things that I love to do and finding a, you know, a, a large enough audience for me to feel like I'm reaching people, right? No, 100%. You're 100% right. And that's, I think, the beauty of this and what's really great about it. And so, yeah. And Alex, I think Alex knows and agrees, obviously, being a nimsel himself. Right. But I just thought it was a funny quote. Well, you have to be sort of arch about the whole thing because part of it is you're, you're not trying to be this big creator, but now you're in the post. So you have yeah. to. Right. Um, I wanted to, and we, I feel like the themes of this part of the conversation will carry over to the next. But Tom, I mean, you have a story sort of on YouTube's I don't know if it's that they just fell backwards into being great at podcasting or or if this was a strategy or how much credit you give YouTube or they just have this juggernaut that they lucked out with or like what what is your take on why well first prove to us I guess that YouTube is ascendant in podcasting and then why, why did that happen? Sure. I don't even know how much I have to prove. Yeah. <laughs> As I'm moving on to the YouTube beat, I was talking to some of my media sources back when that was, you know, my racket. And I was like, oh, I'm covering YouTube. And they're like, you know, they're huge in podcasting. And I'm like, what do you mean huge in podcasting? I mean, like, they're literally the largest platform of podcasts and distributor of podcasts out there. Like, there was a survey that came out, two surveys I found earlier this year that showed that more people listen to podcasts on YouTube than they do on Spotify or Apple. And so, and the fact that I didn't know this was something that I realized I was reporting the piece is just because I'm old. <laughs> I was going to say, I listen to all podcasts on YouTube. That's like the place to go for podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. And like the more I think about it, I obviously listen to a ton on YouTube too. So it shouldn't have been as surprising to me as it was. But yeah, the fact is, you know, whereas Spotify, for example, when they went into podcasting, they were like, we're going to fucking spend hundreds of millions of dollars. We're going to sign exclusive deals. We're going to make it clear to people that this is the place that you should you know, list to subscribe and listen to all of your podcasts. And Apple is starting to do that now. And, you know, Stitcher got bought by iHeartRadio. And there was like a huge cash infusion into this space to make different platforms the podcast hub. And then YouTube, because it is, I think, as I described in the piece, it's like a massive star just that because of its gravitational pull can just like 
absorb various things into its orbit that it didn't intend to. And like the example that it happened before this was music, right? YouTube is the single largest music platform out there. Not because YouTube, they're, they're, YouTube's actual music efforts, they fucking suck. They fail every time. You know, they make like YouTube Red and YouTube Music subscription services. No one likes them. Well, the Bergen book, which we're going to talk much more about, but sort of gets to the point that whenever Google tried to like do these contract things, like from the beginning, that was sort of the failed strategy. And when YouTube just leaned into like, let the masses do what they want, they've been wildly successful. And so the negotiated strategy the business development impulse, but, but, you know, like the Taylor's whole beat, it's just been sort of led it to the consumer and the creators. And that's a more powerful force. Yeah. And, and so like a lot of the basic features that we expect of podcasting players as like podcasters ourselves, we're like, well, it needs an RSS feed so that we can just auto upload our episode when it's done. Uh, it needs to be able to like fucking play when it's in my pocket. Uh, so that it doesn't just turn off every time, which the YouTube app does. I mean, like basic, <laughs> basic features they don't even have. Right. <laughs> but because it's like this incredible, as you've like written about so many times, Taylor, like this incredible audience aggregator uh, and the algorithm has this insanely powerful, maybe dangerously powerful recommendation tool. It gets people keyed into different podcasts, which has always been this huge issue for podcasting, which is like, how do I find out about a new show to listen to? The apps, you know, like Spotify and all those guys suck at it, but but YouTube is the best at it. Uh, and so for all these reasons, it's become this thing. And, 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 you know, like Spotify, that they consider them their number one threat. And YouTubers, you know, it's like, I guess what the piece, as I was like reporting it out, like tried to raise is like, what does it even mean to make a podcast at this point? Like if it's, you know, if, if you post something like Joe Rogan, right, he's like my lead example in the story. He was huge on YouTube, obviously had tons, like millions and millions of subscribers to his audio show, but he would have probably more people on YouTube that would just, you know, listen in on or watch and listen on his, on his whole show. And so, you know, I think this whole world, you think it's one thing and then it becomes something else, uh, which I guess is like the core of sort of what you write about Taylor. But, but yeah, that's essentially like the YouTube podcasting story. And no one really knows yet, like how much they're going to invest to like take it on, or it's just going to continue being, you know, the side project that also is the most powerful thing in the industry. I'm wondering, um, Tom, like how much of it is, you know, Spotify keeps trying to get you to like watch these video podcasts. Mm -hmm. Like, do you think that's them trying to compete with YouTube and like add? Because I've heard that, you know, they're just trying to get everyone to create video content for their podcast. A hundred percent. And actually in the story, I was saying that the reason that they have a video player is because of Joe Rogan. I mean, they were going to do it regardless, but like as they were signing the deal for him and his team was like, well, look, this guy's got millions of viewers on YouTube. You don't want to just lose that they like had to kludge together really quickly this video player to kind of appease those kinds of people. Uh, and so I guess like the fine line here is between like a podcast versus a talk show because that's all it is, right? You know, it's like what we're doing is a talk show. If we posted this, which we won't, I guess, on YouTube, we've technically made a podcast. I know, it's embarrassing yeah. to have you saying, oh, the most powerful podcast platform in the world is YouTube, a platform that we do not published to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's much more production, obviously, right? Is podcasting sort of a thing of the elites in some way or the sort of part, part of our blindness, I guess, to the YouTube issue would seem to be that, you know, someone like me, like I want podcasts like multitask. I'm already busy. It's hard for me to imagine like sitting, listening to like 
Joe Rogan talk for like hours on end, just like <laughs> dedicating my full attention to that. It feels like the biggest like waste of time, even though I can see why he's an entertainer, but it's just like well, so you're not long. dedicating your full attention. But, but it's hard point. to multitask and you can pl- and you play. if it's on YouTube, right? I don't find that way. Cause like I put on the H3 podcast, which is really long. And I just like, well, I have it on double speed and just kind of like, which let one's it, H3? The H3 H3 podcast. Wait, are you serious? <laughs> what, what oh, see, is this is what like, I'm talking about. This probably podcast. has like hundreds of thousands of listens what that Eric it? has no clue about. It's massive. Yeah. Who, it's who like are the hosts? Ethan Klein. Do you, do you guys know H3H? Have you ever? Yeah, they have almost 3 million subs, but like it's one of the bigger <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> Never heard of it. Okay. Well, there's, you know, there's a lot like that. I, I mean, oh, you- I recognize this guy. I, I guess I've, I've seen the chopped up TikTok of it, I guess. I see a lot of these things now on just like TikTok, like hits of it. You yeah. Know? He has a podcast with Hassan as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there's so many podcasts. I feel like every, you know, sort of niche internet micro celebrity starts a podcast. You can say every two dudes in a room decide to... <laughs> I'm trying to do a podcast too. I'm not hating. I, I'm trying to get back in there. I love podcasts. Um, I mean, I think audio is a compelling format. And like you said, um, video, I mean, the video component just kind of adds to it. Um, different podcasts have different levels of production, but I think a lot of YouTubers also have pivoted. Po- I mean, look at what Logan Paul did. That's like his whole business now. Right, right. Yeah, and I was like as video as it could get, but his show mm-hmm. is really just him and his buddies, you know, sitting behind a desk, you know, sh- you know, just talking shit. The pandemic also seemed to play a part in it. I'm, I'm, I'm curious for you, Taylor. Like as you, you know, were consuming YouTube podcasts. I don't know if you were always a work from home person, or that obviously, you know, was a, a product of, you know, the pandemic. But as people were telling me, you know, because you could just have a tab open at home, listening to a podcast in the background, maybe click over and listen to and, and, and watch it a few times that kind of helped accelerate that trend. Was that, was that your situation as well? Or you just have always liked YouTube for any other reason to, to be your podcast place? Um, the podcasts that I listened to were on YouTube. Like I listened to a lot of YouTuber podcasts and I think like as somebody that covers the beat, I'm just, I, I also just spend a lot of time watching YouTube videos or like listening to them really, like listening to video essays on YouTube. Um, so for me, you know, I feel like I, that was just the easiest one. And I, the Apple podcast player is so bad, you know, that I feel like I got into YouTube pre-Spotify. I definitely, the podcasts that I listen to on Spotify are like the Wall Street Journal daily podcast, hmm. you know, it's like the news ones, right. you know, but the other ones. I'm, Do you listen to All In? Oh my God. Everyone tells me to listen to that. <laughs> I have listened a few times. You've, they talk about I'm me. I'm just curious if you have a take. Yeah, I was about to say, it's full of people that have at certain points in their lives, like, gone after you. So I don't know how exciting oh, that Oh, they would be. love... Dr- well, you know, it's drama queen. Well, you and Jason, I thought, have like a frenemy. You're, you get along sometimes, frenemies. Right? I'm not enemies with any of these people. Oh, yeah, right. they like to like... Well, I think in 2020, I think what happened is the VCs all decided, you know, I mean, Jason, to be fair, Jason was, Jason's been in like the influencer, like right. he's always been on my beat. He's, he's not who I'm talking about, but, um, you know, people at Andreessen, other people that like had always kind of ignored my space and the influencer space forever suddenly now decide that they want to be in it. And I right. think they felt very threatened. Well, they need a, it's good to have a foil online. I don't know. I, yeah. I'm, I love debating tech. I love it. Anderson had me on their podcast twice and didn't release either of the episodes. Oh so. my God. What? <laughs> That's what, what, were the, what happened? Tapes. Did you like say something about it? I think them? I started to piss off Mark and then he was like, fuck this girl. What did you say? 
They're the most sensitive people. Yeah. Oh, they're babies. They're babies. Babies. (laughs) I just like, it's so like for people who are such diehard, like free speech people, the amount that they're, their whole system. Oh, they're not free speech at all. They're not. profess to be, you know, they, that's their pose. But then they, they're, they like scare everybody in Silicon Valley that like, if you say something about us, we're like watching you. They're very aware of like what people are saying. I feel like it's, it's really bad. One thing that I have to say that I love is discovering new little, like, really highly provincial kind of groups on the internet. Right. Like, media Twitter is very much like that, right. especially in New York media. And I never was on tech Twitter, mostly because those people kind of didn't, they weren't relevant to my beat. Like, I talked to people at YouTube, maybe the platforms, but, like, definitely not the VCs. Other than, I mean, C, uh, what is it, TPG... There's the the churning group. Oh, yeah. They were they were my and TCG, and Lightspeed yeah. and some other. You know, I, I talk to them sometimes, but um, but like and reason whatever. In 2020, I think they all just decided to get involved, and I uh, that's the first time that I discovered tech Twitter, and I I love it. I I, I, mean, I, I love. I, I just story. <laughs> I feel like it's been maybe a year and a half that VCs were just like trying to will consumer investments into being. I mean, there really haven't been a lot. I mean, you could argue, some people will say like Coinbase, Robinhood, given, but like, I feel like a true like consumer company hasn't really hit. Obviously, Andreessen went all in on Clubhouse, you know, <laughs> Substack is sort of consumer. I mean, be, be real. I mean, whatnot. I don't know. Like, are you, yeah, are you optimistic about any like the new sort of startups? Think, well, I, I think it's cool and I like to see new... I mean, we need more a more competitive landscape right. in terms of social. But yeah, they do try and will things into existence. And they're just so... There's a lot of drama and pettiness in that world and obsession with image, which I find so fun to watch. I think that's what I love about covering it, an influencer world. And like, they really want that. They, they want influence so badly. So... It's fun. Well, it's always satisfying to see that no matter how wealthy people are, they still end up having like many of the same concerns that everyone else has. It's like, oh, I have petty feuds on Twitter. Like I, yeah. Well, certainly filtering any of that through Twitter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I got to say, Taylor, and, and you're like, you know, the real cultural anthropologist of, of the internet. So I, I may be out of my, my league here, but like, I think Twitter 2020, around the time that this sort of thing was happening, that these guys were all getting up, one of the worst times on Twitter. I just felt like people yeah. were so disjointed and unhappy and just like spewing out left and right anything. I mean, you know, we may be terrified because of the pandemic and, you know, stuck at home and and, and the people were just losing their minds. But that whole period, just awful. Well, we got I, rid I mean, of Trump. I think that helped in some ways. Tom, you're totally right. Like, I think a lot of, there was a lot of like rage and um, frustration that was like pent up and it kind of came to a head. And I think, especially in the tech world, yeah, it was so vicious. I was so surprised because I'm such a, and I think this is why none of these tech people have been able to like, you know, they wanted to paint me as this like anti-tech, da, 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 when it's like Kara Swisher said something on Twitter. It's like, you could not pick a worse right person to kind of like try and apply those labels to because it's like just counterfactual to like literally everything I write. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's funny. And I, I and now they've moved on, I think. To, to different things. And- sure. And, and it's kind of diffuse now. And, you know, kind yeah. of thinking about this, I, I don't even know if Eric's thought about this. In a way, that period and like you're being a central character to that is almost the inspiration for this podcast. Wow. Because, no, because I, I, there was so much. It wasn't just about you. It was also about this generalized feeling. Well, yeah, the sort tech- of... 
Yeah, it's you know, the meta conversation about right. it. I mean, part of what's frustrating about Twitter is that it's so short that it yes. feels like you can't really have the actual debate and that these tech people have their own built-in audience so they can get super validated. They act like, what, we're the cathedral, right? We're the reporters that are so powerful. So they act like we're the elites, even though they often have like bigger followings than us, certainly way more money. And people, their fans have a financial incentive to suck up to them because these are the people that might give them funding, but then they act like they're the victims. And then reporters who, I mean, this is the most, you know, complimentary of us you could be. We want to debate it out. We're the suckers for like, oh yeah, you disagree with me. Let's have like this substantive debate. So they it's easy to, debate, they never want to have That's it. what's frustrating. Right. And I think as somebody that loves tech and like, you know, good products people, I, I find when I, it's like, they like to kind of like, Think, think about things in an interesting way, right? right? And like, be like, hey, like, let's take a look at this product and how it's being used and emergent user behavior and think about it. And I think it's, you know, but I will say, and every time I criticize tech Twitter or VCs, like people are like, not all, you know, not, right, and it's certainly. true. It a is lot of true. them are like normie sort of. Totally. The normal yeah. ones are just not doing right. the feuds. But I think it's fun. I, I mean, I think it's fun to cover as a journalist. And that's, I, I agree. That's the the benefit of podcasting, right? You can like, go a little deeper. And it's more and, obvious as if someone isn't engaging on a podcast or yes. whereas on Twitter that you can just say your thing. I mean, we talk about this endlessly, but Mark Andreessen, like the fact that he invested in a real estate thing after the whole NIMBY incident and never even has to like He's square the circle. Cell. He never even has to say, oh yeah, this is why I wrote the letter. Because we live in this media environment where you can just do two contradictory things and never really have to answer. Yeah, which is influencer world, right? Like that is like classic YouTuber behavior. Never apologize, never yeah, capitulate. Exactly. You write your own narrative. Right. And I think that, you know, yeah, Mark has learned that. I just was dying because like Mark wants to be Elon so badly and he's just not. Like he just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like In what online. Way? You, you know just where to really I think or... you know, like, you're like, Netscape wasn't huge. Like, what have you built? Like, <laughs> I think he desperately wants that wider cultural relevance and he wants to be an influencer and he's just not. Like, he has his Twitter audience, but like, no normal person knows or cares about him. And he's really increasingly out of touch. And it's just so funny to like, watch him scramble well, you, know, you know this show we're enablers this show is named after mark andreessen uh mark Zuckerberg really? exchange yeah because <laughs> mark andreessen I, I assume we have enough new people that it's good to refresh but mark 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 andreessen messages zuck in a sort of uh text that come out in a lawsuit where andreessen's like the cat's in the bag and the bag's in the river over like some shareholder thing and it, and zuckerberg's like does that mean the cat's dead and so that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the whole concept of influence is such an interesting thing. And this again, goes back to your NIMCEL idea because there, there seems to be a huge buck passing trend among everyone in, 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 in involved in all of these about who really has influence and, you know, who deserves power. And, you know, I mean, that's why everyone wants to play the victim because if you're the victim, that means you have no influence that you were the subject of larger forces that are causing you your unhappiness or worse. So like in the case of Mark Andreessen, him wanting influence, the man has a huge amount of influence. He is the commander. But he doesn't of- have cultural relevance. He doesn't. He's not a, he's not a culturally relevant, like he's culturally relevant in tech. But I think what he wants is like normie people. When I'll never forget, I was doing this documentary about this all black content house in Atlanta, one of the first all black uh, TikTok houses. 
in the fall of 2020 or winter of 2020. And these one of these kids was like, oh yeah, I have Clubhouse. I love Clubhouse. The only thing is I hate when you get on and they force you to follow all these like random old white guys like <laughs> Mark Anderson. And they're all like, oh, that guy, that's so, yeah, yeah, you got to block him immediately. Oh my anyway, God. like I just was like dying because I'm like, these people have no idea who he is, but he right. wants, he wants right. so badly. Like, right. But of course they're all fragile. I mean, all these billionaires are so fragile. Well, it's look funny. at Elon right now, even though he right. is like the paragon of like what these people want to be, the guy is claiming victimhood constantly on Twitter. I mean, he's buying the company and still thinks he's a victim. Of course. And what's your, yeah. What's the one we haven't talked about, maybe you loathe the most, but what's your view on Bology these days? Like he put out a huge book, but it feels like his, I mean, he blocked me. So I, I tried to get an interview with him and he blocked me, but um, of course he so did. I don't see him at all. Like I, he doesn't penetrate or like, is he no, on he's your not radar? Relevant. Yeah. He's just not relevant. Like he's not relevant. I think and I think also, you know, I loved that that um, part in Cade Metz's story from a, a year and a half ago where he got that email from Balaji where he's yeah. talking about targeting a voter person. It just shows how, like, desperate and how hard these people are trying to work to attack people that it's like, guys, we don't give a fuck about you. Like, you're so random. Like, I, I, I mean, I'm sure they're making they lots of they, money. They don't but... believe in democracy. <laughs> like, No, I, I, definitely no. I mean, definitely they don't believe right. in democracy. And I feel like that's... That's one of those, I mean, it's the classic sort of alt-right tactic where it's out there, but they won't just like say, I'm against democracy. What, what actually, let, can, can we dive into that? Close. What do you mean by that? Why, why do you think they don't believe in democracy? I mean, they basically say that. Bology they, has this whole a, like CCP, reason. New York Times, like Bitcoin sort of try. I, I mean, yeah. They, oh, I, no, sure. I understand that. I mean, look. And, I mean, if you read the books that Mark Andreessen tweets, it's like the Machiavelli. Also, they're like, like supporting like Blake Masters and stuff. People well, that are yeah. like saying sure. like, you know, only men. Like it's, I, they don't. Sure. Yeah. I not, guess if you want to extend the idea that anyone who supports the current Republican Party, I mean, I'd argue any version of the Republican Party. I don't think Party. it's just that. I think it's their whole like, you know, ideology, right? I think they've talked about this. Like they talk about like their whole thing with AI. I mean, people like Natasha Tiku, my colleague, can like speak to this because I'm not deep in Silicon Valley lore, but they're definitely all reactionary and kind of weird, right. have weird political beliefs. This is which, sort of a, a zag on this, but are you are you free to like have opinions of any sort now? Like you're a columnist or what sort of the freedom? I am a columnist. <laughs> so are, do you have like political opinions on Twitter or do you try no. to limit it? Or no, what's your... I'm not having political opinions on Twitter. Are you crazy? Like it's not I strategic don't... or it's just, or it's not allowed or like what's... It's not that much fun. No, I, I, you know, I feel personally like Twitter, I just kind of go to share like news and stuff on my beat. I really, I used to tell my, like when I was a... Running social media for news companies, I would always say, like, tweet your beat, uh, which I try and do because I feel like people subscribe to me for news about influencer stuff. They don't want to hear me talk about abortion or student debt or whatever. Like, those are, there are more qualified people to talk about that. The one thing I do talk about is chronic illness and and COVID stuff because it's affected me so personally. But um, that's, that's about as, political as I get on online. And sometimes I retweet, you know, just that we live in like a a hellscape of an environment (laughs) broadly, but I'm pretty, I mean, I'm, I'm, I I don't, that's another thing. I think these people are always like, oh, you know, tell her I'm nobody knows. I'm not, I'm never open about my political beliefs, really. Well, but to be fair though, you did write that article about the person who was, uh, out there tweeting about all of the trans teachers and, you know, oh, uh, lips, different- of lips of TikTok. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, lips lips of TikTok. Hire Rachel is a huge influencer. Right. 
No, I cover, I cover policy. I cover political stuff all the time. And I was a Mm -hmm. political reporter for two years. I, um, I, I cover politics, but I'm just saying like, I'm not. But you came at that with, uh, you know, the angle, which I, and I think any normal person should agree with that this person is also bad. What they're doing is a bad thing. I think you can read a story. And if you read a, I mean, it's funny that you say that, Tom, because the story, the story says basically like, you know, this woman is responsible for doxing and harassing people and has gotten several gay people fired and wants gay people out of schools. I think you read that, you and I would take away the position of like, that's bad, <laughs> right, right? right? But other people, they read that and they say, this is a brave truth teller and right. we need to support her. So I, you know, it, the piece doesn't say my opinion of her, but it very clearly lays out her ideology, which I think the majority of Americans would find reprehensible, right? But yeah, and and by the way, like I, you know, I, I think that story, what it was about as much as sort of her and the woman behind it was about t- talking about the way that um, the right-wing media ecosystem works and how this this influencer is basically acting as an assignment editor for the right-wing right. media cycle. And that's important I, to I agree scrutinize. it was very factual. I, honestly, I, I'm getting at this less like interrogating your politics, but more just sort of <laughs> in the the journalist creator sort of overlap. Like I think from my personal experience, when I was free to be more of a creator, you know, I, in my first story said like, I thought supporting Donald Trump was like against the pale. And there is a degree to which like creators have like a brand, an authentic brand where, I mean, you do expose only parts of yourself, but like politics like clearly seep through. I mean, even the barstool guy came out on the abortion thing. So I'm just interested in like, you know, yeah, do you see reporters being much more open with, like, their opinions sort of as we continue to move into sort of a creator world? Definitely. I mean, I think these are things. And by the way, I think that it's important to stand for values. I mean, I care deeply about equality and, you know, um, representation and, and things like that. I think what news companies don't generally like is when reporters... Um, speak to specific pot, like specific bills and issues and votes and things like that. Um, And again, I say this as somebody that had to manage and be the one in the newsroom, like, hey guys, that you're sending you the your your tweet emails. Um, It's also funny because newsrooms, (laughs) they only care about Twitter. Like you can be on TikTok (laughs) saying anything, I feel like sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, I do think, I mean, I think what, what has been really laid bare and, you know, people like Wes Lowry have, have spoken really well about this and these nuances is this this concept of quote unquote ob- objectivity and right. how you know we all bring our backgrounds and identities to our beats and we can't be expected to leave that at the door and you know just there's no such thing as having no beliefs and no ideology it's just not you're a human in this world and you have your own experiences and so i think it's really important that newsrooms recognize that and i i i support people i mean when i say i had to you know, when I was running social media, a bunch of media organizations, like I really support reporters doing that. I just feel like me personally, I don't, I don't have people following me for my political beliefs. Right. I have people following me because they want to know about creator economy news or they want to know funny, you know, I like to share funny memes and things right. like that. Like it's more of that. So I think um, different reporters, however, they've built themselves like any good social media account user. You're like, I know what my account's for. Like, yeah, that's right, super. But that's, I feel like but- I'm not. I need see, to be that's better totally about Different accounts is. are for right. different things, right? right? Like I use my Instagram account for promotion. I have a meme account. I have a right. I have a TikTok for right. other things. 
But but that's key to me because I think part of this idea of you know reporters should or shouldn't express their political opinions to me like the key aspect of it is that most of their political opinions are not that interesting and I don't really care you know if 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 any New York, New York Times political reporter or Washington Post reporter started just tweeting out you know I think that this particular bill unless it's like factually informed I don't really care what they have to say. I don't think their political opinions are that meaningful. So knowing your audience is a huge part of having a presence. On but I do platforms. think there's this phenomenon with like view from nowhere stories. And I certainly, I don't think Taylor does this, but where a lot of view from nowhere stories where like the piece can almost lead you to the opposite conclusion that the reporter might hold. Or there are lots of, there are lots of stories that effectively. Like, well, you have to continue. Here's the thing. You have to consider how, you know, there are people, there are specific writers, right? that frame things in a specific way, I think that make it very clear the right. takeaway, well, like right? New York Times has a reporter that's clearly worried about cancel culture, who I of love. Of course. But like, yes. that's his beat. It's like, can't we just, but wouldn't it be more enjoyable content if he just like said, I'm very, they'd get more engagement if he was like, I'm very concerned with cancel culture. And like, that's sort of my beat. Right, Michael but Powell they wanna... whatever his name is. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to say someone else. That's oh, funny. Wait, who um, is, uh, <laughs> am, I, am I saying the right person? I think that's No, one. you are. You know, Michael covers campus culture right. for sure. Right. You know, I think, I think, right. I think like, I, I think all of these things are things that media companies are going to have to work out. I think it's also interesting in terms of hiring and recruiting, which I don't have to do anymore in my current job, but I used to have to do a lot of, is you, you know, people can be very outspoken activists. And like, that was the issue with the girl from the AP, right? Like she had done something in college, I think, to in terms of activism. And, and then that was like held against her for a job. And right. so media companies are going to need to get over this whole idea of everyone being an old, quote unquote, reasonable white man. <laughs> I There's no one that there's no, you know, what you consider a mainstream, like, yeah, it's just, we need to, we need to take, we need a more diverse media right. ecosystem. And At the we end need of the day, reporters just need to be about gathering facts and reporting them to people. But if there's some transparency in like their history or their personal views, I feel like. Anyway, well, also, when you make those kinds of decisions, not letting someone join the AP because they were somewhat an, of an activist in, in college, I feel like you're also, you got to recognize the macro environment of the way that people view media organizations now. And it's the one reason why I'm a little bit sympathetic to the VCs that attack us. And, you know, even you specifically is like, they are reflective in a certain way of the way a lot of Americans view media organizations. The fact of the matter is we are held in a lower esteem than we have been in decades. And they've done it to themselves. They've yes. done it to themselves. Let's be honest, because I hate this whole... The consumer, like, you're saying. No, no the media the organizations media, The have. media organizations oh, have done oh. it to themselves. <laughs> like, I think that they, they did not aptly recognize the rise of that sentiment. And they have not, a lot, you know, a lot of them have not effectively been able to counter that. Again, Wes Lowry has really spoken so effectively on all of this. And I, I, I am not as prolific as him, so I would encourage people to follow him. But um, yeah, and I think that's something that I care. I care a lot. I think it's important to have institutions. Um, but sometimes media companies write some really dumb stuff and I'm like, you know what? You're making yourself irrelevant. Fine. You know, right. like you're just, this is dumb. This is why right. people turn away from legacy news outlets sometimes. But it feels like the Times, the Post are more important. Than, I mean, they're they're huge. I mean, the news. Uh, we need a, a thriving. Right. Dr- I mean, right. journalism uh, is a really important check right. on power and democracy. Totally. And there's right. a reasons people want to dismantle it. And I think news leaders across the industry need to recognize that and not buy into these bad faith attacks. Right. Right. Like that's yeah. Do you have anything you're uh, eager to get on the record about, or anything you wanted to talk about before we sort of wrap up? 
Sometimes people get on the record about yeah, opinions no. that they just want to like get oh. out of the world. Like, <laughs> I just posted on Twitter. If I, have <laughs> I was about to say, you, I was about to say, you use our platform Taylor, right, to yes, do that. Exactly. Yeah, you're hundreds well, of thousands know. of Twitter this followers. Is, this is exactly the right place to go after Dimes Square. You're safer here than like, uh, <laughs> you're like, oh, I got in trouble on Twitter. Anyway. No one is safe. No one is safe. No, I'm not a, I'm not a hater. I, I'm not about that. I don't participate in, in that kind of thing. <laughs> Well, I would just say, uh, please subscribe to my Substack. <laughs> I have a Substack. Uh, follow me. Reach out anytime. If there's anything you think that I should write about, I would love to hear it. Ever a good sor- reporter move. It's like, oh, I just want more sources. Like, sources, <laughs> please find me. Please listen to me. The VC people, by the way, got me so many sources. When they were, like, canceling oh, the me. Fight. I had so- yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, I never knew anyone in the VC world before. And now I have, like, I mean, so many people were, like hit me up because right. of that and gave me news. But so. like, were you were you leveraging that to being like, all right, what's the valuation of the next Cloud Kitchens round? I mean, or it's just like, <laughs> can you can you get in on, you know, like the, 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 the particular bitchiness and fights that happen in the VC world? I'd love to read. I mean, I guess that's partly Eric's Substack. You, you don't really go too much into the personal drama I don't stuff, cover, but, no, I don't cover Silicon Valley. Yeah. I, Taylor, you can give me free scoops anytime. <laughs> like look, looking out like five five years from now, I don't know any predictions about social media or like, I mean, you, yeah, you're, you're the sort of whisper on this thing. I mean, we, we, I, we didn't end up really talking about be real. Are you like optimistic on that? Or is there anywhere where you'll sort of lay out sort of a prediction about where, where we're heading? Yeah. I was going to write something about summer apps and how there's always kind of these viral apps during the summer, um, and how hard it is to kind of like the summer, like Pokemon go, or like you see these things like become these viral phenomenons and they don't always stay. And so with Be Real, I mean, I know they're putting a ton into kind of like marketing it and stuff like that. Um, I don't know that the next, not to say that it won't be successful. And by the way, I loved Front Back. So I was a big, you know, proponent of, of the whole app, format. Right? This is this is your that way was the of original. saying there they have didn't been have multiple the whole push alert apps thing. like this. Yeah. No, no, no. I well, I said something about Be Real, and people were like, "Oh, you didn't give credit to Front Back." I'm oh, like, okay. I I was the biggest Front Back <laughs> user ever. I don't think like the next like game changing app is going to be a photo app. So I think if if Be Real is is going to be a, a lasting product, it needs to evolve beyond what it is. But it's so fun to to write. I mean, I, I've been on that app since like the third week it launched, and I think it's cool and funny and I, I have all push notifications turned off so I just post to it when I want and I don't really post it very often. That really but. does kind of defang the app. Right. I also once like had all my notifications turned off because I reset my phone and I completely forgot about Be Real. It is purely, yeah, you forget about it immediately. Yeah, it just it lives entirely on the back of that. Be Real is kind of the nimcel of social media. Clubhouse. Clubhouse should have learned that lesson. Clubhouse got addicted to the oh, push they push alerts. so much. And they screwed. I think that's part of the reason that the company flopped. Do you think, are we in the beginning of the TikTok wave or are we at the top of it or like where oh, we're do you not think, even close to the top yeah, are you kidding me right this no. is i loved how oh my god i had to do um tech predictions in like 2019 on sam or something and i was like yeah like tiktok's gonna be the new dominant social network and somebody was like oh how did you predict that it's like it's literally owned by like a multi-billion dollar tech chinese tech conglomerate that spent a billion dollars in marketing in one right. year like does, it's not you're not a genius to uh, think that it might do well. So yeah. I don't have any real wisdom. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, you can spend a ton of money trying to push something <laughs> that doesn't tap into some sort of basal elements of human nature that causes you to go crazy because of you're addicted to it. I think it had been so successful around the world too that it, yeah. But no, you're you're 100 right. I mean, Facebook does that every six months with some right. new right, sure. right. Yeah, I mean. Uh, w- w- what is the best thing you think to come out of TikTok? I mean, what do you think has been like the most heartening aspect of 
the culture that it has created or the millions of cultures it's created or its user interface or make me feel good about TikTok. Yeah, we can, we can close on that sentiment. Make me feel good about TikTok. Yeah, I mean, I what I think is really interesting is it's broken this whole like follow-based system of social media. And it's really, I think they've just nailed discovery so well, right? And I think that's that's what's exciting about it. Like you can really go down these rabbit holes. I hate the video. For, you know, I don't want video to be like, I, I'm not a video person. So I think like that part's a little bit of a... I don't want video to be the dominant mode of expression. I do think that like that's something I like about Twitter is being able to write. Um, but TikTok has such incredible creative tools and the stuff, the way that it's kind of like allowed people to be creative is, is pretty cool. This actually maybe circles back to the first thing we talked about on this and, and we can maybe end here. I mean, do you worry that the follow-based culture going away and being purely about discovery does kind of dissociate people's connection to the creators or influencers that they watch? I mean, like VidCon is an example of this. The TikTok didn't have the YouTuber lines of mm-hmm. years past because people, one could argue, didn't feel as emotionally invested, parasocially connected to, you know, the people that they were watching on TikTok. I mean, is there something alienating about this format of, of consuming content versus following it that does sort of, you know, reverberate in a negative way? No, I think 100%, which I love that Business Insider piece that got into this because I would have written the same thing and kind of tried to in that one paragraph of my story, but like, yeah, it's also just the, the rate at, at fame, you know, you spend so much more time with YouTubers, like you're sitting down, you're watching long form content and it takes time to kind of subscribe and, and find people. Whereas TikTok, you're just getting barraged with new people every day and you don't form that bond. You don't have that same, but I think that can be kind of good too. I think like the whole parasocial thing is really unhealthy. I'm crazy about keeping my life off the internet. Like no one knows anything about my life. And I, I, I think it's very scary for the creators. And I think it's not a great, like that pair, that deep parasocial bond can be harmful for the creators and harmful for the audience. So I think it's, I don't know. It's kind of good to have a little bit less of that. Interesting. But I, I do, I do see lots of sad TikTokers, who are like, I have a million followers and my videos are getting like 10,000 views. And there is, it does feel like, I mean, the beauty of like Substack is like, once I have you, it goes to your inbox. Whereas TikTok is literally the opposite where they sort of like, don't really care what people say. Following is pure, is purely a vanity metric. And, you know, I know that because I have half a million followers and they're all people that just mostly think I might be with a famous TikToker and they follow me for that reason. (laughs) But yeah, it's, I I think it's, but that decoupling, I think is very jarring for people. Right. Totally. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll have you back on. Thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks Taylor. You're uh, yeah. Everyone should read Taylor's work. If they haven't already, which I'm sure they do. She really is the best at this thing and um, it's fascinating. So I highly recommend uh, people keep, keep reading. Thank you. I'm such a fan of, of your guys work and Tom, I've read your stories for years and Eric, so it's cool to get to chat. Goodbye. Goodbye. Silicon Valley. Goodbye, 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 goodbye.